Douglas, thank you so much for having me out. Thank you, uh, Mississippi Center for Public Policy. I want to thank you for the kind introduction, but I gotta—I really got to tell you, you called me doctor, and the thing is, I'm not a real doctor. I'm more like a Jill Biden doctor. <laughs> and I got a PhD in education policy. I can help you with math, maybe. I went to government schools all through K through 12, so maybe the math skills aren't there. But uh, look, we're in the middle of a school choice revolution, particularly in red states, all across the country right now. We've had 10 states go universal on school choice in the past two years alone. What do I mean by universal and what do I mean by school choice? It means every single family in, in those states, including Arkansas, Arizona being one of them as well, can now take their children's state-funded education dollars to the education provider of their choosing. That could be the public school. If you like your public school, you can keep your public school. But for real this time, and like with your doctor, you can actually do that. But if not, you can take that funding to pay for private school tuition and fees, go to a charter school, or a home-based education option. What's interesting is that Arizona, being one of the first states to do this, did so with one-seat GOP majorities in each chamber in 2022. That means every single Republican showed up and voted for their party platform issue of empowering parents with education freedom. And the best part about all this is, is the unleashing of education freedom all across the country is really the teachers union's own fault. We should really give an award to Randy Weingarten for stepping in it over and over and over again. Um, she basically gaslighted the public in their role in keeping the schools closed when she said before Congress, I was actually fighting to keep the schools open since April of 2020. Uh, if you were fighting to keep the schools open since April of 2020, why weren't they open? The reality is they lobbied the CDC to make it more difficult to reopen schools in person. They called the president's plan to reopen schools reckless, callous, and cruel. They were threatening safety strikes in 2020. You had local affiliates in places that are do, uh, dominated by unions like Chicago. They were tweeting out, and, and get this, as a real tweet that they later deleted, that the push to reopen schools is rooted in sexism, racism, and misogyny. They threw everything at the wall to see what would stick to prevent kids from getting a better education and to prevent families from having choice to send their kid to in-person school. But there was an unintended benefit, particularly for the school choice movement, when it came to those school closures in that through the remote learning, which let's be honest, we should have just called it remotely learning because there wasn't a lot of learning going on, families at least got to see a little bit of what was going on in the classroom where these institutions that we call schools had been infiltrated by the left for so long, for decades, some families started to see that the schools weren't focusing so much on education as they were on indoctrination. They weren't getting the basics, math, reading, and writing right, probably because they weren't focused on academics. They were focusing on uh, political ideologies in the classroom, and a lot of families weren't happy with that. Whether you're from the left or the right, families want their kids to get a good education as opposed to being exposed to political ideologies in the classroom. So we we saw families pushing back at school board meetings. That didn't work out too well. They got the, labeled as domestic terrorists from the Biden administration. There was a letter from the NSBA, the School Boards Association, sent to the DOJ to investigate parents under the Patriot Act under, quote, for domestic terrorism. That didn't work out too well for NSBA. They should basically be called the Regional School Boards Association at this point because 26 states, including Mississippi, decided to cut ties with the NSBAs since they labeled parents as domestic terrorists. Didn't really work out for them. It was a bold strategy, Cotton. Didn't work out for them. 
Uh, and thankfully, it showed people, particularly legislators and politicians, that parents have real power when they band together and create a new interest group. I wouldn't call it a special interest, more so of a general interest, parents wanting more of a say in their own kids' education. So this really backfired in a lot of ways. For those who tried to bully and silence parents into submission, it only emboldened families to push back even harder. And when they found out that the school boards weren't listening to them, they went to the Capitol in a peaceful way to push for school choice and to fight for having the money that's meant for their children to follow them to the provider of their choosing. And now again, 10 states all in, universal on school choice in two years. That is extremely uh, monumental in its change. I wish uh, Milton Friedman were alive with us today to see his ideas coming to fruition. In fact, he was such a, an idol intellectually for me at least for a long time, I was, he was on the background of my phone as my screensaver for about a decade. Um, thankfully, there's a much better looking person on the screensaver of my phone, and she's here today with me, Miranda DeAngelis. Thank you for, for being here and supporting me. I, I don't think I could do it, uh, with, so much travel without Miranda coming uh, along my, alongside my side and helping in the fight for education freedom too. We, we would be, we were joking, a distance relationship if you weren't able to join as well. So. Thank you again, Miranda, for coming. Uh, there's been a lot of wins over the past couple of years, but the best win was getting married to this one uh, just recently in October. So uh, yeah, thank you. I'm, get, I'm winning so much, I'm almost getting tired of winning. Just kidding, we're not done because Mississippi hasn't gotten the ball across the finish line. Uh, but in the, in the elections as well, you look at the midterms, there was a lot of talk about a red wave, didn't really happen. There wasn't a blue wave, obviously, but there, there was a school choice wave. 76% of the candidates supported by my organization, the American Federation for Children and our state affiliates, won their races in 2022. And we didn't just play in the easy ones. We targeted 69 incumbents in state legislatures for coming out against parental rights and education, and we took out 40 of them. That's the hardest thing to do in politics. The message became clear. Support parental rights in, in education or lose your job. And parents have been holding politicians accountable at the ballot box, at the school board meetings. And this is the only way to truly empower and enshrine parental rights and education. And it fixes a lot of the problems that some legislatures have been trying to fix from the top down. When parents were upset with what they saw in the classroom, a lot of them fought to ban certain concepts like CRT or social emotional learning or gender ideology in the classrooms. I think the better solution, because the top down uh, implementation has a lot of problems. There's there's enforcement issues. There's a group, a group called uh, Accuracy in Media. Anybody hear of them? They're kind of like a Project Veritas undercover video group. They've gone to red states, including my own, in Texas, Tennessee, Iowa, Tennessee, uh, uh, Utah, uh, Idaho, and so on and so forth. They've gone into public school uh, buildings and the district offices talking to administrators where they're basically saying, flat out, if the state bans CRT, we're still going to do it anyway. We'll call it social emotional learning. We'll call it student mental health. And we found out it's basically a never ending game of whack-a-mole trying to implement the reform from the top down. The better solution through freedom as opposed to force, in my view, would be from the bottom up, allowing families to vote with their feet to schools that align with their values. And at the end of the day, the, the inherent problem we have around curriculum disagreements is that you have one group 
typically a special interest, not even the majority of the population, determining how to raise other people's children. The only way out of this mess through freedom as opposed to force is to allow families to choose. And I think Mississippi's on the cusp. I've heard ramblings of the Senate perhaps having a bill coming out in January. Uh, the governor's on board, I know that. I've, I've spoken to him, I sat with him uh, at a couple of meetings already. And so school choice can happen. You look at Arizona, they did it with one seat majorities. Most recently, North Carolina, they have a Democrat governor, Roy Cooper, who's a hypocrite, by the way, sent his own kid to private school. And then guess what? He, he declared a state of emergency over school choice this year. A state of emergency, you'd think he'd really, he'd call state of emergency over the failing test scores that just came out before he made the proclamation, which showed 15% of kids proficient in history in the United States. That's a total shame. But no, the state of emergency wasn't about that. It was about his threat to power. And what happened was all 60% of both chambers, all the Republicans signed on to a bill to expand their existing program to all families, not picking winners and losers. We shouldn't uh, go for this incremental reform where we say, well, only you can participate or you can participate. What the states are doing now, like Arkansas, is they're not picking winners and losers. They're going all in on school choice, passing universal education freedom accounts in Arkansas, what most people call education savings accounts in other states. Utah is another one that recently went all in on school choice. Louisiana may change pretty soon as well. The only blockade to school choice in Louisiana was the governor, Bell Edwards, a Democrat, who kept vetoing our school choice bills. Well, guess what? This year, the House in Louisiana passed a universal education savings account. So the momentum is here. Red states are engaging in friendly competition to expand parental rights and education in the form of school choice. And I will say, you might hear some ramblings of, of, of convenient excuses as to why, you know, all these other states like Arkansas can do it and West Virginia and, and, uh, and Arizona and Iowa can do it, but we don't have to do it here in Mississippi because guess what? Mississippi, you guys don't know this, but Mississippi has rural areas. So that means we don't have to, you know, Florida doesn't have rural areas, obviously, and West Virginia doesn't either. Mississippi's special in that it has some rural areas. That means we can't vote for this. I can still be a Republican and vote against my own party platform of empowering parental rights with, uh, with school choice. Uh, but that's a, it's a ludicrous argument. I wrote about in the Wall Street Journal in an article called The Little Red Schoolhouse Could Do With a Little Competition. But the, what's interesting to me is has anybody been, anybody on Twitter or, or X in this room? Anybody familiar with what a meme is? I'll also I'll explain it really quickly, but basically there's a something called the two button meme where the guy's sitting there sweating. He's thinking about which button he should press, but he's freaking out because he knows he can't press both the buttons. This is a way to illustrate two statements that are logically incompatible with one another. And this is what the rural argument reminds me of is because you'll hear a legislator or someone from a rural area saying, I don't have to vote for this. Why? Because, well, the public school is the only option. We don't benefit from this in my district, so we don't really need it. But then the next breath, they'll look you in the eye and they'll try to tell you with a straight face that this is going to decimate and defund our fantastic rural public school. And then, by the way, it's the lifeblood of our community. It's going to defund it. Wait, hold on just a second. You can't say both of these things at the same time. If it's true that the public school is the only option, well, then logic would follow that you're not going to lose any money at all. No one's going to be able to vote with your feet to escape 
the school that you say is so fantastic, and by the way, if it's doing such a great job, you should have nothing to worry about. It should be the other districts that are uh, not doing so well for, the, for their kids. And uh, so you should be the last person voting against school choice based on the argument that it's going to defund your schools because public schools are funded based on enrollment counts. And if you're not losing the students, you're not going to lose the funding. My second response to this ridiculous argument is that, well, other states have done it. Florida has rural areas. West Virginia, according to the Census Bureau's data at least, is more rural than Mississippi overall. They were the first state to pass universal school choice. Uh, Maine and Vermont. You wouldn't know it, but they had the oldest voucher programs in the country. Started in the late 1800s, and guess what? Maine and Vermont are two of the most rural states in the country. They created this program in both of these states specifically for students who lived in rural areas because they didn't have public schools in some places. So the state figured out, well, let's give the funding directly to the families and let them choose a public school in a nearby district, or maybe even take that funding to a private religious or non-religious school. So they found out over 100 years ago in states like Maine and Vermont that not having a lot of choice because you're in a rural area is an argument to expand opportunities not to restrict them. And so maybe over 100 years later, states like Mississippi can get on board, others have already, in order to empower parents with, with school choice across the board. And look, I'd say go big. Other states are going universal. The, increment, the days of incremental reform are over on school choice. And you know it's, it's more popular when you poll voters. Do you support program of school choice for all families? We're already paying for it for everybody. Everybody's guaranteed a publicly funded education. Or would you support it only for low-income families or only for special needs students? I think any of them would be a step in the right direction, but voters are typically more supportive of universal programs for where everybody's involved. And then also, the other side who's so dug in against this, they're going to they're gonna act like the sky is falling no matter whether it's this big of an initiative or whether everybody's eligible. And so if you make it very small, well, guess what? Your side's not going to be as supportive of it, and the other side's going to act like the sky is falling no matter what. So you, you, you might as well get your side empowered and emboldened to push for change. The moms at the school board meetings who are upset about whatever they're upset about, they need to be eligible as well so that uh, they have an incentive to go fight to get the thing across the finish line. Uh, we, we've had uh, a lot of wins. Um, Mississippi should be on the cusp. I've also heard one more argument, and I think IJ's going to take this, but don't listen to the argument about it being unconstitutional. Every state has an education clause. 31 states have private school choice programs in, enacted already. They all have some form of education clause. The requirement to provide A, is not a does not forbid you from re, re, uh, uh, providing B or C. The requirement to provide a public school system does not forbid you from also providing choices for families. And, and at the end of the day, School choice is a rising tide that lifts all boats. We have 29 studies on the subject nationwide, and 26 of them out of the 29, the vast majority of evidence on the subject finds positive effects of school choice competition on the outcomes in the public schools. This is a win-win solution. And mathematically, when you hear this argument that, well, this is going to defund the public schools, to which I respond, school choice doesn't defund public schools. If anything, public schools defund families. And school choice initiatives just return the money to the hands of the rightful owners, or at least the intended beneficiaries of that funding. Education funding is supposed to be meant for educating children, not for propping up and protecting a particular institution. But it's, a, it's also a bogus argument just because mathematically, if the state funding is following you, 
and you're the public school and you get to keep the local and federal money, well, on a per student basis, the public schools are actually better off. Just imagine if you stopped shopping at Walmart for whatever reason, you wanted to go to another grocery store and Walmart got to keep half of your grocery funding each week. That wouldn't make a lot of sense. It would be a good deal for Walmart. I would argue this is a good deal for the public schools that they get to keep any money at all for students they're no longer educating. Uh, so uh, with, with Randy Weingarten pushing to keep the schools closed, she actually did, I, I mentioned Twitter a second ago, it's now called X. Thank goodness for Elon Musk for taking it over, by the way. Uh, he introduced something, some called community notes. And instead of having the leftist fact checkers, so-called fact checkers at PolitiFact just regurgitate Randy Weingarten's talking points, on Twitter, now X, the public from opposing viewpoints can go and vote on something called community notes on your tweet if someone says something that's factually inaccurate. And so after she went and gaslighted the American public in front of Congress, basically lying, saying that they were pushing to reopen the schools, uh, the, the Twitterverse, or the Xverse now, went and fact checked her, slapped a community note on, on the tweet, uh, basically saying, no, you, you fought to keep the schools closed as opposed to keeping them open. I did want to open it up to questions. We have a, a great uh, audience here. I've, I've gone, I haven't gone over yet. I, I've said basically what I want to say, and we have a lot of friendlies in the room. But I would also like to hear any concerns you might have heard in Mississippi that might be different from other states, or um, just any of your thoughts on the movement uh, overall. But uh, again, thank you, Douglas, so much. There are. Um, there is an envelope on everybody's table. I think you can make a contribution to the Mississippi Center. He didn't ask me to do this. <laughs> the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Um, or you can make that out to Miranda DeAngelis. we got a Christmas tree ornament kind of fund going right now. Um, no, but, but thank you so much, Douglas, and the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. I'd like to open it up for questions. I have finished early, so we do have a good amount of time for questions, too. Thank you. I saw a hand shoot up in the back. Can you hear me? I Yeah, I didn't see Daniel Cameron leaning into it as much as I would have liked, uh, but I would say follow the Glenn Youngkin blueprint and talk about school choice under the umbrella of parental rights in education. So, you know, the way the, the reason that that was so beneficial for Glenn Youngkin is it allowed him to have Terry McAuliffe, the uh, Mr. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach, uh, basically let the mask slip in revealing his preferences towards uh, the government controlling uh, the, the, the children's uh, educational futures. And so if you can make it more about a discussion about who makes the decisions for their own kids, you're going to win with independence overall on the issue of parents being the primary decision makers for their kids. So the more you can make a Terry McAuliffe moment happen for your opponent, whether it's in a primary, hopefully that's not the case, or in the general election, I would say talking about it under the umbrella of parental rights and education and school choice being one of the avenues 
towards achieving that goal. I'd say it's the, the best way to do so because again, you can tell the school boards to listen to parents, but at the end of the day, how long is that gonna take to actually change? Uh, what if the right person doesn't doesn't win the job in the in the public school board? And um, what if the teachers, what if the school board has the right people on and the teachers still just teach whatever they want anyway or in the way that they want to teach it? So I think the best way, the immediate solution is having the funding following the student. And what's interesting to me is a lot of the politicians who rail against this send their own kids to private school. I don't, I, I had nailed uh, uh, Bashir on this a couple of times throughout the years. When he tried to defend himself on the hypocrisy for sending his kids to private school, Bashir's immediate knee-jerk reaction was, well, I'm a proud product of public schools. I went to public school. And it's like, well, your bigger decision was where you sent your own kids. But then also someone on uh, Twitter, it's a, it's a great, who went to school with Andy Bashir, sent me a DM of his yearbook from when he went to private school. So he gaslighted everybody saying, I'm a proud product of public schools. Well, why did you leave out the fact that you also went to private school? Because he knew it's hypocritical. And if you pull voters on this, and we actually did at AFC nationwide, overwhelmingly, if you ask people, if someone votes against school choice, but then after you know either sending their own kid to private school or exercising it for their own families, they're vastly more likely to say that they're less likely to support it. This kind of unfolded in the Pennsylvania governor's race too with Josh Shapiro right before the election, he started getting hit by Doug Mastriano, the Trump candidate. And Doug, Doug, uh, Josh Shapiro was already up 10 points before the election at the time and uh, in the polls. And Mastriano started hitting him, calling him a hypocrite on school choice. Shapiro went to private school exclusively, was sending all of his kids to private school. And it's uh, voters don't like hypocrites. And so what he did was he put education reform, school choice, into his education platform a couple months before the election day. And so he, he ultimately, on this year, he went into Fox News talking about it being uh, something he supported. He, he ultimately vetoed his own campaign promise. We won't get into all of that. He ultimately, it basically looks like he caved to the teachers union. He blamed the Democrat-controlled House in Pennsylvania, but it seems to voters like he lied to everybody. So that wasn't a, a good move in the end. But it, it, it was interesting that even some high-profile Democrats are starting to see the political winds shifting and at least starting to see that I need to project at least that I support this concept because it's so um, uh, beneficial and supported by the, the, the electorate. But as far as Bashir, I mean, look, there's other issues here besides school choice. It's He had the incumbent advantage. The voters know he basically doesn't have any power anyway because it takes only a simple majority uh, or constitutional majority to override a veto in Kentucky. And we did that when we passed school choice um, in 2021 in Kentucky. He vetoed it. We slammed him on it. We overrode the veto, and the program went into effect. He, there were some problems in the course after that, but um, you know he's not really risky, so maybe who knows? Uh, there's, there's not a perfect response to that. That's a good question. Yes. I have a question about implementation. There's so many regulations involved, federal you know requirements for this and that. And, uh, and so how do you deal with that from an implementation standpoint? And then also, you know, I had somebody tell me, oh, we're going to have Wiccan schools being ah, supported. You know, Those are called public schools. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> how do you prevent fringe schools from rising up? And I mean, there's got to be some sort of, you know, yeah, control yeah. of that. Yeah, so my quick response is a lot of people aren't happy with uh, the funding that's going towards the public schools with, uh, you know, values that aren't aligned with their own. So... 
that was my kind of knee-jerk response, but it's more, it is a serious response in that this is an argument against taxation altogether, that uh, you're gonna have schools that sprout up that you don't agree with. Uh, and then also, if you're gonna fearmonger about this, we've had school choice all across the country for decades, uh, over, 30, over 30 states. Show me the Wiccan schools, show me the Satanist schools that they all fearmonger about. They, how are you gonna actually get a customer base big enough to support something like that. It never happened. It's not going to happen in Mississippi either. It's just a way to try to use an outlier to argue against an overall policy, which we can point at many outliers in the public schools that aren't actually outliers that if the problem's big enough. And we don't say, we don't result from that and say, uh, well, we should abolish all public schools. They basically say, well, there might be this, so we should abolish all school choice. I think it's a logically, um, uh, it's a logical fallacy to do so. But I, I get your bigger point, which is, what about some kind of you know regulation? Make sure it's being spent on education. And the ESAs and EFAs and, and, and education freedom accounts in Arkansas do have guardrails. You can't just go spend the money on a, a big screen TV or whatever it has. You, you, so we, there's that type of accountability and audits each year about how the money is being spent. Um, I remember some some people did a, did an article in Florida or something saying, oh. They spent this money on, on a coffee maker or something. Are you going to tell me there aren't coffee makers in the public schools? Uh, but no, but they, they do uh, audit these things. And when there is problems, they, they clean it up. So there's no such thing as a, uh, a perfect program that has no misallocation of resources. But we, what we want to do is make sure that's uh, a lot less likely to happen. I think there's data out of Arizona who's been doing this for over a decade. And they have the ESA account uh, program where they found fraud rates about like 0.1%, where if you compare that to like the school lunch program and like food stamps, much, much higher, I think like around 10%. So in terms of uh, uh, initiatives, this is uh, on the lower end of the fraud rate. And I would say on the same issue of regulation, I would say be careful about uh, over-regulation. So um, if you overregulate the program, you're going to have a lot of unintended consequences. If you say that the private school's got to accept all students, or if you say you got to take the state test and you can't pick your test, the private schools will say, I'm not going to, the best ones are going to say, I'm not going to participate. No deal. Um, and what we had in Louisiana happen uh, right next door is that Louisiana had some of the lowest quality private schools participating because they're the, some of the most regulated program. They, they require all private schools to accept students at random. They require the state mandated, uh, the state test, can't pick your test, and the voucher amount, the, I don't know how much that is, six to 8,000 has to be used as full payment. So you don't want to replicate the problems in the public schools and bring that over to the private schools. So with our model le legislation, we actually have specific language saying that the private entity does not become a government provider of education. You can't control the creed, admissions policies, discipline policies, and so on and so forth of the private education provider. So it's a double-edged sword here, but I would say err on the side of freedom. Let a thousand flowers bloom. You're not going to have these schools pop up. They, they haven't, even in the least regulated places like Arizona. In Mississippi, athletics are very important. Yep. situation all, they all put money into the athletic programs and one of the biggest things that we faced when I was in the legislature was the argument that the, uh, the person who was leaving the parents who were taking their children out of the 
public school were going to ruin the athletic <laughs> program in that school. Mm -hmm. And the parents all had bought in to supplementing the money that goes into the athletic program. So they were all against it as yeah. well. How do you refute yep. that argument? This is why I like to say, if you like your public school, you can keep it, but for real this time, because if people really like the bundle of goods and services provided by their public school, you should and are able to continue to do that. And by the way, you'll have more money per student for those programs since you get to keep the local and federal dollars. And then look at you know the charter school movement that's already expanded in, in my home state in Texas. Charter schools have expanded in Texas. Are the Friday night lights gone? No, we still have Friday night lights in Texas. So it's a, it's, it's a non-issue. If you just look at the other states, they still have sports programs. This hasn't negatively affected their sports in any way. And if you just look mathematically per student, they're gonna have more funding than they had before. And, and by the way, if you do it like Arkansas, you can create a win-win package even more so by, you know they, they added more public school funding for teacher salaries and raises. Utah did something similar. I don't know what the plan is in Mississippi, but you could create a package of more funding, but also expanding education freedom as well. I know if you're supportive of lowering taxes and not pouring more money into the system, again, uh, that might be, not be the best answer, but the legislature is going to do it anyway. You might as well get school choice along with it. I actually have two questions. You know, in regards to the taxation, um, you know, we definitely don't want to see the taxes go up to support these vouchers and so on. But we have a real situation in Mississippi that perhaps Arkansas does not, where Mississippi has the highest paid superintendents <laughs> in the nation and, and nothing's being done about it. We need internal help to get that handled because most of them are in these rural areas. Secondly, the Bill of Rights for Families and also the parental bill, uh, the bill of Rights for Parents, mm -hmm. um, there's 23 states that now have a bill submitted to go into effect. I know that Governor Reeves did have something in committee last November and it died in committee. Yeah. And a lot of the states, even though they're addressing it, it's under the guise of helping families, but it's addressing one of two other issues, and it is the freedom of choice, which we are for choice. But the main one is that families actually lose their rights and that children now can make up their mind as to what gender they are oh, and no. what they stand for. And they're using this to prop up the agenda. So it's almost like we, Mississippi, would you concur that Mississippi maybe needs something to come along, number one, for the funding, to ensure that the funding is going to be delegated where it needs to go and spent where it needs to be spent, and also that the Bill of Rights for Family actually puts the power back in the homes of parents to make these sorts of decisions? Yeah, I would say these aren't mutually exclusive, and we should fight for both at the same time. Uh, if they can be included in the same bill, that would be great. And I think that's what Arkansas did. Aaron could obviously speak to it with more knowledge than, than myself. Um, but if you do them separately, I don't want to give legislators an excuse to say that they, they did education reform. I voted for the Bill of Rights and then not vote for school choice. So if we can keep it in the same bill, that would be great. Um, and I would say school choice is the stronger leverage. I'd say we should have both. But if you had to pick one or the other, I'd say give the parents real power by letting them choose because otherwise you're just you know signing on to something saying 
yeah, parents should be empowered, but then what if what if they aren't? What actually happens? We we need to have an exit option that you don't even actually have to exercise to actually get real power. You can say once the school board knows you can take your money with you, they won't call you a terrorist anymore. They'll listen to what you actually have to say, and they won't cut off your mic anymore when you're reading the books that the schools are trying to read to the kids, but you can't read them at the public meeting full of adults for whatever reason. Uh, maybe they shouldn't be in the schools. So I think I'd say yes, do both of these things. Then as far as the taxpayer savings, 68 of 73 studies on this topic find positive effects in that school choice saves taxpayer money. You look at the Ed Choice one, two, threes, they list all these studies out. But it's it just you don't have to look at the studies to know like it's just basic math. The bills are written in a way to generate taxpayer savings. It's typically the state funding. And even then some some states will say it's gonna be 90% of what the state would have spent. So you're you're creating a savings through through the bill. So um, we got one minute left, or one more question in the back. Terrorist, uh, <laughs> proud to be one. Um, I represent in Mississippi. A group you may have heard of. It's called Moms for Liberty. Um, and we were so, just in Atlanta. Tina texted me yesterday. We were just in Atlanta two days ago. They had a rally out there. Like, hey, we're 30 minutes apart. We should have joined forces and done it. We'll do it next time. Maybe we yes, can have a absolutely. Mississippi. I'll actually be in Little Rock tomorrow All right. the training with them. But um, I wanted to, I don't know how familiar you are with this, this particular area, but um, Jackson is just really, really high on crime. Their schools are the public school system is a complete mess. And then right next door in Madison County, where I live, we have some of the best public schools in the state. Right. So how will it work if the public school system becomes oversaturated in certain areas and no one wants to send their children to a public school system where they live because they know how terrible it is? I mean, if, if, you're, if you choose to send your kids to public school, do you still have to send them to the public school that's in, that you're zoned for, or how does that work? Yeah, typically with how the ESAs work, it's basically the school you're assigned to, or you can use that to pay for private school tuition and fees, charter school, or a home-based education option. There are also, there's a charter school law in Mississippi, so that's another uh, realm of choice, but there's also something called open enrollment choice, which is typically separate from the ESAs, where you can choose different public schools. And I would say, if you're gonna go the open enrollment route, I'd say that's a step in the right direction too, but to quell fears about, you know, I want to keep my public school the way that it is. Um, you know, you get first dibs if you live in the district. So if, you're, if your school is full, you know, if people want to transfer over, you know, the school doesn't have to take them if they don't have room. So it, you, you still get what you bought in for, basically, when you bought your house to get assigned to the better public schools. And then, you know, when it comes to uh, crime, school choices, criminal justice reform, there have been six studies on the topic. I've done two of them. They're all peer-reviewed, all six of them all finding that more charter and private school choice uh, options lead to less crime later on in life, uh, reduction, the likelihood of uh, a, a reduction in criminal activity later on. And it, it's not a big stretch to think that if you get a better education, you're gonna get a job as opposed to going and being involved in the criminal justice system. And a lot of families choose school choice options partially for academics, but also for the environment that their ch children are surrounded with, with. I went to a magnet school in Texas. I, I mentioned I went to t uh, government schools, all K through 12. The assigned school that I was supposed to go to in high school, there was gangs, there was drugs. My magnet school was actually on the campus of that school. And so I saw for a night and day difference for four years, right before my eyes, uh, why school choice is so important. And 
So it can, it can improve academics, but also there have been tons of studies showing school choice improving safety, um, other measures of satisfaction, uh, reducing crime. There's even been a fewer number of studies looking at the relationship between school choice and the reduction in the likelihood of teenage pregnancies. So this is a whole, this is a holistic kind of um, list of, there's a, a whole bunch of different types of benefits that aren't captured by test scores, which is another reason I think we shouldn't over-regulate the programs with saying you have to take the state test. I don't want the schools focusing, teaching to the test. Let them choose their test at least with a norm reference test. Uh, private schools are already basically doing that everywhere anyway. Um, and so, uh, yeah, if, if parents are choosing these schools based on multiple dimensions of school quality, we don't want to over-regulate it by focusing too much on test scores. But long-winded answer to some things you did, did ask and some things you didn't, but thanks for being here.